Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. Well, good morning, High Point Assembly. You have no idea how thankful that I am to be here with you today, even if it is online. As Pastor Chris mentioned last week, Lisa and I had to go down to Phoenix to pick up our daughter, Brooke, and to move her out of her dormitory at Grand Canyon University because, like all the universities, they were closing up. By the time we arrived, most of the students had already left town, and Brooke was waiting patiently or impatiently, however you want to look at it, for us to get there. We packed up her things and we the things that we needed to bring home, and we rented a storage facility for the larger things that she would need for next fall, and we headed home. And, and I want to take just a moment to thank the Mandolfo family who allowed Jeff Jr. to drive all the way down to Phoenix in their Yukon so that we could load up those things and we could all drive home together. We got in late on, on Friday night, and let me tell you, we are very happy to be home. We miss our church family. We miss gathering together with you guys on Sunday morning and other times like we always have. And, and, and this is, I really believe, an interesting time for, for all of us. I don't think any of us have faced these kinds of restrictions before in our daily life. We're treading on new ground as we, as we go through this every single day. But you know, the interesting thing is it's, it's at times like these that forces you to do things in new ways. We have talked for quite a while about putting our sermons online so that we could reach a broader uh, group of people. Well, these restrictions have pushed us to do what we've been wanting to do all along. And I am thankful for a staff that is knowledgeable in technology, unlike their pastor, and who got this thing up and running so that we could minister to you in this way. It's certainly not as good as being together, but we can still worship and we can still learn while we're waiting for the threat of this virus to go away. So what we've been able to bring you in week one with Pastor Anthony and week two with Pastor Chris and today in week three with me is the new normal. Uh, until we are allowed to meet together again in a group as a church body together. And I want to encourage you to join us every single week because during this time, we all need more of God in our lives than ever before. Pastor Anthony and Chris both did an outstanding job of, of sharing ways of staying focused on God and seeking Him during these challenging times. Because when you do it, it will not only greatly affect your levels of trust in God, but it will also help you to stay in the right frame of mind and not let, as Chris said, the enemy get you. But as I said, this, since this is the new normal, uh, and until we are allowed to meet together again publicly, I decided to pick up where I left off about three weeks ago in our series that we've titled The Standard, which is based upon the greatest sermon ever preached by none other than Jesus himself. And I want to start by sharing an observation with you. I am a lover of music of all different kinds of genres, and throughout the years, music has kind of been a, a sounding platform for frustrated generations of people. 
The reason I mention this is because in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we come to a point where he is talking about hunger and thirst. But when our Lord delivered this sermon, he was not referring to a physical yearning of food and water. No, Jesus was speaking about another form of hunger and another form of thirst, an inner yearning that all of us experience deep inside. You see, the physical hunger and the thirst that we feel every day is only a pale reflection of this far more serious yearning. And the interesting thing is that every generation seems to have a song that acknowledges this fact. It's, uh, it's always a song that laments over the emptiness of living life in this world in which we are inhabiting. It's a longing that all of us have for, for something more, something better. For the older generation, perhaps it was Peggy Lee's famous song, Is That All There Is? I wonder how many of you remember that. Then came the Rolling Stones with their song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. In the 1980s, it was Bruce Springsteen's song, Everybody's Got a Hungry Heart. 20 years after that, the band Switchfoot released a song called Meant to Live. Here's some of the lyrics. We were meant to live for so much more. Have we lost ourselves? We want more than this world's got to offer. We want more than the wars of our fathers. And everything inside screams for second life. We were meant to live for so much more. I read that the lyrics of that song was based upon C.S. Lewis' writings, and I think it must be true because in his book, Mere Christianity, Lewis wrote this, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. And here's what I believe that C.S. Lewis was getting at in his writings. Earthly pleasures do not satisfy because we were not made for this world. We don't belong here. We were meant to live for something so much more. Well, the work of Lewis and all of these, these artists and singers, to me, reflect a universal awareness People sense what Jesus told Satan in Matthew 4.4, that man does not live by bread alone. And in spite of the fact that, that experience proves the things of this earth don't satisfy, tragically and foolishly, we still keep going back to the things of earth. We still keep running to these, these earthly wells to fill our hungry souls. We're like people that, that was described in 2 Peter 2.22, where it says this, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to wallowing in the mud. Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, wrote about some basic types of earthly wells that we continue to drink from, and we do, do so thinking that it will, it will ease our thirst. But we quickly find out that these wells do not satisfy our longing at all. For example, he writes, people seek lasting satisfaction through earthly pleasures. 
I believe, people believe that if only I could take a lavish cruise or retire in opulence, luxury, then, then I would be satisfied. Well, God's word warns us against that kind of thinking. And the frustrating experience of millions upon millions of people show us once again that God is right. In fact, pleasure, no matter how much of it we have, will always leave us feeling empty and yearning for more. Ecclesiastes 6, verse 7, the American Standard Version says, All the labor of man is for his mouth, for self-preservation and enjoyment, and yet his desire is not satisfied. Now, to be sure, attempting to satisfy our desire with more earthly pleasures can be fun. Pleasures can make you happy for a moment, but that happiness is never lasting. Hebrews 11.25 tells us the pleasures of sin are passing. You see, here's the problem. We were made for eternity. You and I, we were made for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3.11 makes this very clear when it says God had put eternity in the hearts of men. So things that are not eternal in nature, like all of these earthly pleasures, don't satisfy our hungry hearts, as Bruce Springsteen sung about. Max Licato writes this, false fountains pacify our cravings with sugary swallows of pleasure. But there comes a time when pleasure doesn't satisfy. There comes a dark hour in every life when the world caves in and we are left trapped in the rubble of reality, parched and dying. Have you ever been there? Like the prodigal son, have you ever drank from the well of pleasure in any of its variety and various forms, only to find yourself as thirsty as you were before you drank it? As exciting as its water can appear, it doesn't satisfy our thirst, does it? It leaves us in the pig troughs of life, yearning for something more. Well, secondly, Rick Warren writes, people seek lasting satisfaction in performance, but that doesn't meet our needs either. No matter how well they perform in their careers, workaholics learn often the hard way what the writer of Ecclesiastes found out when he says in Ecclesiastes 2, 22 and 23, for what do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. This is just another earthly well that we can drink from all day long, the well of performance, and still end up, every one of us, with parched throats. There's a myth that says success produces satisfaction. But that's just not true. There are a lot of successful people out there who are very, very unsatisfied. After the thrill of winning, even after the thrill of winning time and time again, there comes that same old emptiness. It's the same awareness that something is still missing in our lives. Tom Brady, no doubt one of the most successful quarterbacks of all time, said this, there must be more than this. He has learned what Ecclesiastes 4, 8 says. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So let me ask all of you workaholics out there, does performance do it for you? Be honest with me. Does career success bring any of you lasting satisfaction? 
Or is it more like a drug that lifts your life up for a while, but then leaves you yearning for the next fix? The third empty well is this. People seek lasting satisfaction in possessions. Manufacturers try to cash in on this, this by offering a written promise that if you buy their product, whatever it is that they're peddling, that satisfaction is guaranteed. How many times have you heard that? And for the thousands of times that you have heard that on a commercial on television or you have read that in, a, in, a, in an article in a magazine or an ad in a magazine, has anything ever really satisfied you? Has owning anything from the, the newest iPhone packed with all the possible apps or a new car ever brought you lasting fulfillment? Of course not. I'll tell you what it usually brings. It usually brings buyer's remorse. After about two weeks, you realize what you just spent your money on, and you, you kind of have a heaviness that comes over you. The writer of Ecclesiastes nails on the head, again, when he writes this in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves things will never have enough. It is foolish to think that wealth brings happiness. Max Lakato sums up our vain attempts to find satisfaction by drinking from the, the world's wells when he writes these words. We are very thirsty, not for fame, possession, passion, or romance. We've drunk from those pools. They are salt water in the desert. They don't quench. They kill. No, we're thirsty for a clean conscience. We crave a clean slate. We yearn for a fresh start. The problem is the treasures of earth don't satisfy. The promise is the tre that treasures of heaven do. This fallen world does not satisfy precisely because this fallen world is not what we need. What we really need, ladies and gentlemen, is to be right with God. We need to get back what our ancestors lost in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man, when the world was different. We need a close and personal and intimate relationship with our Creator. We need and we yearn for His approval. So having said all that, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. And let's read our text together so you can see what I'm talking about this morning. I'm going to read what we've covered so far in this series, in addition to our scripture reference from today. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. The scriptures say, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And today's scripture reference in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now to help us to fully comprehend what Jesus is saying here in verse 6, let's do what we have done throughout this series, and let's look at some other various Bible translations. We just read from the New King James Version, but let's broaden our reading by looking at a few paraphrases here. The J.B. Phillips Version puts it like this, Happy are those who are hungry and thirsty for true goodness, for they will be fully satisfied. In the Message Bible, we read this, You're blessed when you have worked up a good appetite for God. I like that. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. 
And then the Amplified Bible, which tends to try to squeeze all the possible wordings in it, says this, Blessed and fortunate and happy and spiritually prosperous in that state in which the born-again child of God enjoys his favor and salvation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uprightness and right standing with God, for they shall be completely satisfied. So by putting all of these different translations or versions together, I think we have a more clear understanding of what Jesus is talking about here today. The way to find true happiness, the the way to have our thirst and our hunger to be something that is satisfied, we must be right with God. But when you think about it, that, that phrase sounds like a cliché. What I mean by that is we often talk about being right with God, but I fear that we have lost and forgotten what its true meaning is. So let me share with you this morning three things that I believe will help us to grasp the kind of hunger for righteousness that Jesus spoke about in that day. First of all, Jesus was talking about real hunger. That's what the Greek word we translate hunger means. It's the word pineo, which means to be ravenous with hunger. In this context, It refers to a hunger to be clean, to be completely clean and pure before God. To explain what I mean, we need to get a little deeper in our study of the New Testament Greek. You see, it is a rule of the Greek grammar that these verbs that we translate as hunger or thirst in English should be followed in grammatical form by being expressed with the word of. You see, back then, in the Greek, it was used to express a partial thing. At the dinner table, the Greeks would used to, were used to say this, I hunger for part of that loaf of bread, or I thirst for some of that pitcher of water or wine, or please pass the mashed potatoes, I'd like some more of them. But in this particular beatitude, the Greek word that is used is used in an accusative state, which changes it to mean that we must hunger and thirst not for partial righteousness, but for the entire, the whole thing. So Jesus was saying, blessed are those people who hunger and thirst for the whole of righteousness, for complete righteousness. We're talking about people who hunger and, and, and who, are to be com- who hunger to be completely pure, righteous, and totally clean before God. I was thinking back on a day when I helped a friend of mine lay down some red uh, pavers in his backyard. I had my father's concrete saw, so I was the guy that was doing all the sawing, plus I was helping him to lay those pavers into place. Well, I'm a guy who sweats profusely whenever I play sports or whenever I do any kind of, of manual labor. And, uh, and so while I'm, I'm cutting these, these, these pavers, red dust was filling the air everywhere, and it was sticking to my, my sweaty face and my sweaty shirt. And I happened to walk by his glass patio doors, and I looked and I saw this red man standing there. I had this, this shell of red that had completely encased me. And the only thing that I wanted to do at that moment was to get in the shower and get that stuff off of me. You know what I mean? I mean, have you ever been so sweaty and dirty that you yearn to be clean? Maybe it was after a camping day where you were out for a couple days and you longed to wash off all the dirt and the bugs. Maybe it was when you were attempting to change the diaper of your child or your grandchild, and let's just say that not everything was contained within the diaper. Well, the moment you took care of that child, you went and you washed yourself clean. 
Well, Jesus is saying that people that, that have their, their hunger for God's approval satisfied are those who see the need for spiritual cleansing. They realize that they are flawed. They realize that they are fallen. They are stained with sin, and they long to be made clean again. They long for, they're ravenously hungry for, the sinless state that Adam and Eve enjoyed before the fall in the Garden of Eden. But sadly, many people don't think this way. They seem to be content with partial righteousness. To use my red dust example, just a wipe or two from a hanky across their face or forehead is enough for them. They say, I'm not perfect, but I've never robbed a bank or anything like that, or I may not be the best husband or wife in the world, but at least I've never cheated. Well, Jesus says that saying that doesn't cut it. There is no such thing as partial righteousness. There are not differing degrees of purity or cleanliness. You're either clean or you're not. To be completely satisfied, to, to get God's approval, we must hunger for complete righteousness. We must strive not to be happy, which is what the world tells us to do, but, but we must strive to be absolutely holy, pure in thought, pure in word, and pure in deed. The second thing I want you to note is this. Jesus was talking about a deep and desperate desire here. The word we translate as thirst is dipseo, and that's what it means. It's referring to an insatiable thirst. As I said earlier, pineo means to, to be ravenous with hunger. So these are the strongest Greek words possible when it comes to hunger and when it comes to thirst. Like someone lost in a desert for days longing for food and water. Well, that's the word picture that is being presented here. I mean, Jesus was talking about an intense desire for a right relationship with God. Fortunately, excuse me, fortunately, most of us don't know what it means to have that kind of a, a desire when it comes to physical hunger or thirst. We've never really experienced deep hunger. We've never thirsted. I mean, really, really thirsted. Thankfully, we live in the good old United States of America, and we have been blessed in this land where hunger and thirst has never really been an intense thing except for some and few. But that's not what it was like for the people who sat under Jesus' teaching that day and sat on that mountainside to hear his sermon. Back then, the typical working man in Palestine almost never had a full belly. As hard as he labored, he barely made enough to get by. He would have eaten meat maybe once a week, if that. The people who heard that sermon were never far from the borderline of real hunger and actual starvation. And thirst for them was even more of an issue. They didn't have faucets in their house. They were not drinking fountains out in the public square. There was no bottled beverages that were readily available in their refrigerator because there were no refrigerators in those days. These people were thirsty all the time, especially after a journey like they had just taken to get up on that mountainside to hear what Jesus had to say. So understand for them, food and water were necessities. They were not luxuries. Both were used carefully, and both were never wasted. The owning of a well and the cultivating of a field of crops were matters of life and death in those days. And these Greek words that are used here in Matthew's gospel clearly reflect this fact. So the hunger that this beatitude describes to us is no mild hunger that would be satisfied with a granola bar 
or an apple. And the thirst that Jesus is talking about here is not something that could be satisfied with a cold glass of iced tea. No, in this particular beatitude, Jesus was talking about the hunger of a man who is starving. He's talking about the thirst of an individual at the edge of complete dehydration and who is desperate for a drink of water. In other words, he's saying that the people who are satisfied, people who gain God's approval, are those who desperately want to be right with God. They yearn for it. They long for it. And they know that their very lives depend upon it. World War I veteran Major V. Gilbert shared about the British liberation of Palestine during World War I that his platoon was involved in. He writes this, Driving up from Beersheba, a combined force of British, Australians, and New Zealanders were pressing on the rear of the Turkish retreat over arid desert. The attack outdistanced its water-carrying camel train. Water bottles quickly emptied. The sun blazed piteously out of the sky where the vultures wheeled expectantly. Our heads ached and our eyes became bloodshot and dim in the blinding glare. Our tongues began to swell. Our lips turned a purplish black and burst. Those who dropped out of the column were never seen again. But the desperate force battled on to Sharia. You see, there were wells at Sharia. And, and, we, and we knew that if we, hadn't been unable, if we hadn't been able to take that place by nightfall, thousands of us would have died of thirst. So we fought that day as men fight for their lives, and we were victorious. Entering Sharia Station on the heels of the retreating Turks, the first objects which met our view were the great stone cisterns full of cold, clear drinking water. We lined up in formation and waited our turn to drink. First the sick and wounded, then unit by unit. It took four hours before the last man was able to drink. Standing there at attention in that blazing heat, all that time we could hear the water and smell it. I believe that we all learned our first real Bible lesson on that march from Beersheba to Sharia Wells. If such were our thirst for God, for righteousness, for His will in our life, a consuming, all-embracing, preoccupying desire, how rich the fruits of the Spirit would be. Here's the reality that's facing us today, ladies and gentlemen. If more of us were to yearn for God's will in our lives and in this world, if more of us truly longed to live righteous lives, I'm talking about lives that gain His approval, this world would be an entirely different place. So please understand that this beatitude is not just a statement. It's really more of a question. It's really more of a challenge. In essence, it says, how much do you want goodness? How much do you want to be right with God? Do you want it as much as a starving man wants food? Do you want it as much as a man who stumbles out of the desert and who is sunburned and his face is, 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 is dry and his, he has cracked lips and he has a parched throat? and he wants a drink of water. How intense, how strong is your desire to be completely right with God? Are you like what is written in Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Are you like King David who wrote in Psalm 63, 1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. 
My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What about it? Have you come to realize that what you really need in this life, what you desperately need in this life, is to be completely right with God and to be pure in His eyes? If you answer yes, then you are a blessed person indeed, because as God says in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And that brings me back to what I mentioned a moment ago. I hope that being right with God no longer seems like a cliche to you. I hope you now see it and sense it as a, as a reality. The only way for us to be right with God, the only way to have our sins forgiven so that we can have the kind of intimate day-to-day -day relationship with God that we were designed for, I'm talking about the kind of relationship that, that Adam and Eve originally had is through faith in Christ Jesus, and that's the main thing that Jesus was getting at on that day on the side of that mountain. Well, the third thing I want to point out is this. Jesus came to satisfy this desperate inner hunger and thirst that all people have. In John 6, verses 35 and 36, Jesus said this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. In John 6, 51, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. In John 4, 13 through 14, Jesus said, Whoever drinks water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become in him a spring of living water. In all of these statements, Jesus is saying, I am what you're looking for. What you really need in this life is me. I am the only one who can meet your need for what this world is lacking. Only I can make you clean. Only I can make you pure and right with God. You know, on the, the day of Pentecost, God gave us his spirit. He gave us his constant presence, the comforter, the precious Holy Spirit. And because of Pentecost, we can know God personally and, and intimately through the power of his spirit. We can enjoy a right relationship with our creator. And this was made possible by Jesus coming and dying in our place. His blood that he shed on that cross has the power to wash away our sin. Max Licato recounts an unbelievable story of two survivors of an earthquake that hit Armenia on December 7th of 1988. I want you to hear this. He writes, it was the worst earthquake in that nation's history and left more than 55,000 victims. Two of the survivors of that horrible catastrophe were Susanna Petroizen and her four-year-old daughter, Yeene. They were up in an apartment on the fifth floor, but when the earthquake hit, they ended up being buried in the basement of a nine-story apartment house. After hours of being trapped in the darkness, Yeene said, Mommy, I need a drink. Please give me something. But there was nothing for Susanna to give her little girl. She was trapped flat on her back, a concrete panel 18 inches above her head, and a crumpled water pipe above her shoulders kept her from standing. But feeling around in absolute darkness, she found a 24-ounce jar of blackberry jam that had fallen into the basement. She gave the entire jar to her daughter to eat, 
It was gone by the second day, and Gaene continued to beg for more, especially for something to drink. Now, Susanna believed she would die, but she wanted for her daughter to live. So she did all she could do to try to preserve her life. She found a dress and used it to make a bed for Gaene. Even though it was bitter cold, she took off her own stockings and wrapped them around the child to keep her warm. The two were trapped for eight days, and every day her daughter continued to beg for something to drink. And at some point in those long hours of pitch darkness, Susanna had an idea. She remembered a TV program about an explorer in the Arctic who was dying of thirst. His comrade slashed open his hand and gave his friend his blood to drink. She said, I had no water, no fruit juice, no liquids. It was then that I remembered I had my own blood. Her groping fingers, numb from the cold, found a piece of shattered glass. She sliced open her left index finger and gave it to her daughter to suck. The drops of blood weren't enough. Not understanding what this would do to her mom, in desperation, little Gayene cried, Please, Mommy, I want some more. Cut another finger. Susanna had no idea how many times she cut herself. She only knows that if she hadn't, Gayene would have died. Her blood was her daughter's only hope. What a story. But here's the truth, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus' blood is our only hope. It was shed, his blood was shed to satisfy our desperate, intense longing and thirst and hunger to be completely right with our Heavenly Father. Do you remember Jesus' words in the Last Supper? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. 25, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And I am certain that this claim must have puzzled the disciples. Of course, they had been taught the story of the Passover wine. They knew it symbolized the lamb's blood that the enslaved Israelites had painted on the doorposts of their home, a blood that kept death from their homes and saved their firstborn. It had helped deliver them from the Egyptians and slavery. For thousands of generations, the Jews had, had observed Passover by sacrificing lambs like this. Every year, blood would be poured out, and every year the deliverance would be celebrated. The, the law called for the spilling of the blood of the lamb, and it would be enough to fulfill the law, but it would not be enough to take away sin. Because as Hebrews 10.4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Sacrifices like this could only offer temporary solutions while God is the only one who offers an eternal solution. So he did. Beneath the, the rubble of a fallen world, he pierced his hands. In the wreckage of, of, of a collapsed humanity, he, he ripped open his side. His children were trapped. And so he gave them his blood. As Jesus said in John 6, 37, if anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. So can I ask you this morning, have you drunk deeply from the spring of living water? Have you fed on the bread of life? Or are you still feeding on things that just absolutely don't satisfy? This morning, as we have studied this particular beatitude, have you come to realize that what you really need in life is to radically change your diet? Stop feeding on pleasure. Stop feeding on performance. Stop feeding on accumulating possessions and wealth. And why not accept Jesus' invitation 
to quench your thirst and to satisfy your hunger. And you do that by claiming the forgiveness of sin that Jesus freely offers through his death on the cross. Why not make a commitment to him this morning to give him complete and total control of your life? I call that giving him lordship over your life. Do that. Because I'm telling you, it is the only way that you will find satisfaction. That is what your heart longs for. That is what is missing. That's what keeps you still hungry and thirsty. The Bible says in order to receive salvation, to to receive God's forgiveness of your sin, you must believe and you must confess. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He came to this earth and He lived a sinless life. And He was brutally murdered on that cross. And the blood that He shed covered or atoned or wiped away your sin. The confession part is just saying that. Jesus, I believe in you. You are the Son of God. I believe you can save me. Forgive me of my sin. Become the Lord of my life. In a moment when I pray, you can take the time to pray that simple prayer yourself. The Bible says that you will be cleansed of all unrighteousness, and you can start an entirely new life with Jesus at the helm of your life. And if you're here, if you're listening to me today, and you've already made that decision, you're already a Christian, but somehow you've lost the joy of your salvation, let me ask you something this morning. Could it be due to the fact that, that you've been stunning your appetite for the kingdom of God with all the different calories, the empty calories that this world has to offer? Could it be a lack of fulfillment in life? It's the fact that you've been drinking from all the world's wells and not from the well of God? If so, then morning, this morning you need to make a commitment to stop that, to curtail that kind of activity and go to the, your very source. Reaffirm your commitment to Jesus and be in the center of God's will each and every day of your life. And you know, I can see no better time to do this than during this unprecedented time that we are going through right now. If you're dealing with fear today or anxiety or panic because of the uncertainty of things that are happening in your life, your finances, among other things, now is the time to fully put your trust in God. Now is the time to allow His Spirit to be the assurance that everything in your life is going to be okay. God has and He will continue to protect you as His child. Now is the time for us to hunger and to thirst for righteousness. Because as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, the things that we believed would satisfy us just aren't doing the job that we expected them to do. Let's go to God in prayer this morning. Let's follow this beatitude where it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Thank you, Lord, that you've not only given us Jesus and this Holy Spirit to inhabit us, but you've given us your written word. Thank you that we have documentation of the things that you preached to help us in our Christian life. Father, I want to start first by praying for anyone who is viewing this today who does not have a relationship with you. They've drank from all the different wells of the world, and they found them to be useless. God, would they have the courage to cry out to you in prayer, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. My life is not what I expected. I need something more. I need something that will satisfy. So today I ask you to be the Lord of my life. 
Forgive me of my sin. Make a new creation out of me, just like your word says, and I'll serve you, and you can be the Lord of my life. Father, when someone prays that prayer with sincerity in their heart, you will cleanse them, and they can start down a new path. So I pray that many who don't know you would pray that today. And Lord, for those who already know you, but maybe they've lost the luster. Maybe they don't trust you the way that they should. Maybe the joy that they once had is gone. I pray that they would walk away from the wells of the world that they've been drinking and eating from, and that they would come to you. They would trust you as their very source for all things financially, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, God, that they would trust in you, that you would be their very source. Lord, we know that all power and wisdom comes from you. And I pray that especially during these trying times that we lean into you and we allow you to do a work in our life, that we uh, get so close to you that your presence is so prevalent that we are, we are comforted in knowing that you are there. Father, I want to thank you for our church family. Even though we're going through these crazy times, I thank you that so many have tuned in here today to listen to this. I pray in the name of Jesus you would bring encouragement into their lives, that any fear or, or any concerns that they have would be wiped away because they know you are in control. They know that you are the Lord of their life. And Father, that they would lean into you and that they would seek you and that they would find you in prayer and in the word and gathering together with their family and talking about you and the good things that you've done. Remind us of your goodness, Lord, and help us to lean into you like never before. Father, I thank you for this time together. I ask your blessings upon everybody who's watching this today. Pray that you would, you would encourage them this day. As we go about our daily life, even though that looks a whole lot different than what it has in the past, again, I pray that you'll use us. You'll give us God encounters where we can share your goodness with others. And God, that you will even confirm to us the things that we already know day by day, that you are a good God and that we can trust you and that we live for you and we serve you and you take care of your children. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. So glad that you're here. I uh, look forward to being with you next Sunday. I'm going to send out some emails this week to let you know how to do that in case you didn't know how to do it this week and you're watching this on delay. But so glad to have you here. We love you. Uh, the staff is praying for you. We want you to be encouraged. God's in control. And as the old uh, spiritual song said, we shall overcome. God bless you guys. Have a great day.